Our first Bible reading comes from Paul's letter to the Colossians, chapter 1, verses 21 to 23. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you wholly in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. And if you could turn with me again to the wonderful book of Colossians, Colossians in chapter 1 and starting at verse 24. Colossians chapter 1. And starting at verse 24, let's hear from God's word. Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations but is now disclosed to the saints. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. To this end I labour, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. Well, friends, as we take a closer look at God's word, let's pray together. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you again for your wonderful and precious word. Help us not just to read it this morning, but Lord, we pray that by your spirit it would read us and it would change us as a result to be more like Christ. And we pray this in his precious name. Amen. Well, a few months ago, a message was left on my phone telling me that I had not declared my taxable income correctly. And I had seven days to fix up the problem or be issued with a court notice. Deeply disturbed, I rang the number back and the person on the other end of the line informed me that things can be quickly sorted out if I give them my tax file number along with all my banking details. Well, eager to sort the problem out, I quickly began to grab the required paperwork. Fortunately, Mish was at home at the time and began to ask what I was doing, rummaging through all of our files. And who was on the other end of the line? I can't quite recall what happened next, but long story short, after hitting the person with a bunch of questions, it quickly became clear this was a scam. I, a rational reasonably intelligent person had been easily and simply hoodwinked. And by the look on some of your faces as, I, as you hear this story this morning, I'm sure I'm not the only one who's experienced something like this. In fact, it seems these days it's hard to go through a week without a, a dodgy phone call or some weird email pop up on, on your computer. Your financial scams are a big growth industry because people fall for them. And friends, while being taken in by one can be pretty devastating, 
there's a bigger and more devastating scam that's been going around and going along for a whole lot longer. The spiritual scam. And as we've seen over the last few weeks, the church at Colossae has become a target. The con is on. Their strategy, as we saw last week, undermine and replace. Undermine their confidence in Christ and then fill the spiritual vacuum with something else. And given a heads up about this by his good mate Epaphras, in comes Paul to tell them, hey guys, you're being had. Wake up. Hang up the phone. Look over at chapter 2, verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which demands on, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world, rather than on Christ. For he, chapter 1, verse 15, is the image of the invisible God the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. Friends, as you can see, these words are Paul's powerful and inspired counter to this undermined strategy. Dropping truth bomb after truth bomb to re-establish the all-supremacy of Christ. This is, it. this is who Jesus is, remember? And while we're at it, don't forget, don't let them undermine who you now are thanks to him. Look at verse 21. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour, But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you wholly in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. This is who Jesus is and this is who you now are as a result of him coming to earth. If you continue in your faith, writes Paul, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. Do not let these scammers budge you one millimetre from this wonderful reality, this wonderful gospel truth. Now, friends, if you're one of these spiritual scam artists who have weaseled and whispered your way into this church, how exactly do you respond to Paul crashing your little heresy party, raining on your deceptive parade? What's your comeback? What's your response? Well, let me read a little section from Acts 
26, which gives us a pretty good clue. Here's the scene. Having been seized by the Jews for converting people to Christianity, Paul is hauled before King Agrippa, hauled before him by a Jewish man, a Jewish leader called Festus. Have a listen to what happens when Paul gets to the heart of his defence. He says, I stand here and testify to small and great alike. I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Messiah would suffer and as the first to rise from the dead would bring the message of light to his own people and to the Gentiles. At this point, Festus interrupted and shouted, You are out of your mind, Paul. Your great learning is driving you insane. Our friends, do a quick Google search of Paul and you'll see this charge that he had lost the plot is common. Thousands of articles and books written that seek to undermine and discredit Paul and his writings. And this attack started early. Listen to what Peter says in his second letter. Ignorant and unstable people seek to distort Paul's writings as they do with other scriptures to their destruction. How does the saying go? If you can't destroy the message, attack the messenger. And knowing this tactic is most certainly underway in this church. Look at how Paul finishes this section off, second half of verse 23. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, have become a servant. The good news of Jesus, who he is and what he's done, isn't my gospel, isn't my message, it's God's. I am simply a servant to it. Now, friends, remembering that all of this is taking place in the first century, the Colossians can't now, you know, phone a friend, email or text one of the other apostles and do a a quick fact check on this guy that they still are yet to meet. Hey, John, give us a little rundown on Paul. All good? No, friends, the fact checkers, the only fact checkers, are right there among them. And you can bet, bet they're all giving Paul the thumbs down. Paul, your servant? Oh, that's a laugh. He hasn't even visited your town. No, the only servants around here are us. Trust us. So how does the church work out fact from fiction? Who is the servant and who is the snake? Well, friends, that's what this little next section, verses 24 to 29, is all about. I, Paul, am a true servant of the true gospel, and this is how you know. And so he begins, verse 24, have a look at it. He writes, Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you, And I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions 
for the sake of his body, which is the church. Now, friends, when you read that, it can leave you wondering, well, how exactly does that show that Paul is the real deal, a true servant of the true gospel? I mean, look again at what he says about himself right in the middle there. I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions. That pretty much sounds like something that would come straight out of a con man's mouth, doesn't it? Jesus' suffering was not enough, so I'm here to suffer for you, to make up the shortfall. Isn't that undermine and replace 101? And if that's not what Paul's doing, then what exactly is he doing? What on earth is Paul getting at here? Well, friends, there's a little story in the Old Testament that points us in the right direction. When King Solomon first came to office, you may remember that two women came to him claiming a baby was their own. Now, with no genetic testing back then, how was Solomon possibly going to work out who was telling the truth? 1 Kings 3.25, have a listen. Cut the baby into two pieces and then give the women half each. To that, one of the women immediately spoke up. Please, my master, don't kill him. Give the baby to her. But the other woman said, neither of us will have him. Cut him into two pieces. Then King Solomon said, give the baby to the first woman. Don't kill him. She is the real mother. And so Solomon was praised for his insight, for his God-given wisdom told him that the real mother would be prepared to suffer. Suffer terrible loss for the object of her love, while the liar in this situation would not. Because you see, deceivers aren't into self-sacrifice, right? They're all about self-gain. Now, with that truth under our belts, look again at verse 24. Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you, and fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. Now, friends, this passage is clearly all about suffering, isn't it? For the benefit, the sake, not of a baby, but the children of God. Okay, got that. But how can Paul fill up in his own flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions? What's that about? Well, friends, simply this. The persecution, the afflictions against Christ continues, now focused on his body, the church. If they hated me, they will hate you, says Jesus. And that's particularly true of an apostle. If you are wondering how much Paul was prepared to suffer for Christ's body, the church, look up 2 Corinthians 11 later on and have a read of it. Now, friends, here's the point, the big, big point Paul is making. Anyone can declare devotion and love, 
but the willingness to suffer for the object of your love separates the two women, the wheat from the chaff. And so Paul lays his record down. He has suffered and continues to suffer, take blows for the sake of Christ's body, the church. They talk the talk, but I walk the talk. The willingness to not just talk the talk, but walk the talk and keep walking the talk when the blowback hits. Well, friends, that remains one of the clearest, clearest and easiest tests for the church back then and today in separating the lover from the liar. The lover from the liar. Now, we may remember that as the gospel and all the things that's coming at the gospel and the Bible is happening today, coming at us under attack, well, this is a good principle to remember. The disciple stands up. The deceiver crumbles. Now, friends, now we have a proper handle on what Paul is communicating in verse 24. Let's read it again and see what he follows it now up with. Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you and fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. Now friends, see the flow of what Paul is saying here. He can be trusted not only because he bears the marks of his genuine love literally on his body, but also because God personally commissioned him. Verse 25. Now I mentioned Paul's testimony to Agrippa before. And while we don't have time now, if you have a bit of time later on, have a listen to his entire testimony in Acts chapter 26. It's awesome. But spoiler alert for you. King Agrippa is going to reject Paul's testimony. He's going to reject it. But the ones who matter, Jesus' disciples, fully accept it. As far as Peter, John and all of the rest are concerned, Paul is one of them. Commissioned personally by the risen Jesus just like them. He's an apostle. But, says Paul, God commissioned me with an extra special job to do. Pick it up, middle of verse 25. God gave me to present to you the word of God in all its fullness. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, friends, having read that, you might be thinking, Paul, verse 24 was tough to unravel. But, mate, you're not making things any easier. Fullness, mysteries, secrets. By the time I get to hope of glory, I'm hopelessly lost. 
What exactly are you saying here to show this church that you are a bona fide dinky die apostle? Friends, to help us out, let's, let's pan back for a second and remember who Paul was before he was Paul. He was Saul. And in his own words, a Pharisee amongst the Pharisees. And who did Pharisees hate and despise more than anyone else? More than tax collectors? More than even those rotten Samaritans? That's right, the non-Jews, the Gentiles. People just like these Colossians. Only a few short years ago, Paul considered the people in this run-down Roman town unclean, worthless, soulless beings destined for hell. As such, Saul, along with his Pharisee mates, referred to them as dogs. But not anymore. Now, not only does he consider them equals, spiritual equals, but he is their servant willing to put his life on the line for them. How can that be? Well, friends, it's right there in verse 26, a mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations has now been revealed. So what has God unraveled that Paul now sees? Simply this. He sees that God has opened the way for the unclean, uncircumcised Gentiles, verse 27, to become fully-fledged people of God, to become God's children without becoming an Israelite, without becoming or being Jewish in any way at all. Impossible, say the Jews. Preposterous, say the Pharisees. No, says Paul, that was God's plan all along. Listen as he explains the mystery of our inclusion, Gentile inclusion, in Ephesians chapter 2. He writes, Therefore remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and are called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, Remember that at one time you are separate from God, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near. How? What has made the impossible possible? The blood of Christ, writes Paul. He himself is our peace who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. How do you know the message I bring to you is God's message in all its fullness and not some carefully constructed lie? Well, because it's a message that no Jew, no Pharisee would ever contemplate, let alone communicate. Now, us Jews love the dividing wall. We love looking down our noses on the unwashed masses. But that's us. That's our character, not God's. 
No, God is different. He is oh so different. For he in love sent his son to die for all, Jew and Gentile alike. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. I don't think Satan wants to hear this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That is the wonderful word of God in all its fullness, says Paul. And I have delivered it to you in all its fullness, left nothing out, such that you can know, verse 27, the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. There is no scam here. There's nothing being taken from you but the exact opposite. God holding out his riches, eternal glorious riches, received through receiving his son. That message is my entire motivation, writes Paul. We proclaim him. Verse 29, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may may present everyone perfect in Christ. To this end, I labour, struggling with all his energy which so powerfully works in me. Why am I so keen? Why am I so passionate and enthusiastic among you? Because Christ is working through me, says Paul, to make himself known to you, to establish you in the gospel truth, perfect and mature, that you might not move. And with that goal, that motivation communicated, Paul finishes off his wonderful defence. The application pretty clear and direct for that church back then. But what about us today? Well, friends, as we think about that, I remember an old minister once saying to me, there are basically two types of people in this world. People who step you toward Christ and people that step you away from him. And while a lot of the time discerning between those two is fairly easy, it isn't always Sometimes we too get hit by fine-sounding arguments as well. And that's where this little section in Colossians can be so, so helpful. Two things, and with this I'll close. The true gospel servant is willing to suffer loss for the good of Christ's body. Paul didn't go looking for persecution but he expected it and he never ran from it. And the same goes for all of Christ's servants, but never so for the imposters. So we need to be aware of sunshine preachers, sunshine leaders, 
whose speech is impressive, theological arguments might sound great, but when the weather turns, so do they. A true servant protects, loves and stands for and by Christ's body, the church. And that's because, and this is the second point, that servant has been won by this great mystery revealed of God's love that has now been fully revealed to everyone. Jesus' sacrifice, his blood shed on the cross, which washes away all sin, no matter what you've done or where you were born, Jerusalem or Olverston. God's message in all its fullness has come to us. And once believed, you too receive the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are so much bigger and greater and loving, gracious and merciful, more than we could ever understand or imagine. Lord, as Paul gives his defense, he kind of disappears and we just see your wonderful, wonderful love for us, the wonderful gospel that has not been hidden by a race of Jews or Israelites, but it has been opened up to the whole world, opened up to us. We thank you, Father, that it's not a message that is hard to understand. Jesus' blood shed on the cross covers, washes away, destroys all sin. And not only that, then... Christ by his spirit comes and lives in us by his wonderful Holy Spirit, reminding us of our our sure and certain future, the hope of glory with him. Our Heavenly Father, we pray that you would help us to treasure this wonderful truth, to share this wonderful truth, and also, Lord, if we are leaders, to make sure that we continue and only stand on this wonderful truth. And we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.